Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Fanatical Futurist. And today, we'll be looking at the meteoric ride of ChatGPT. Everybody's talking about it. And we'll be looking at the implications it will have on the wider job market and further afield. But first, Matthew, welcome back, sir. Looks like you're continuing to have an incredibly busy and prosperous 2023. How's it all going? Well, so far, it's, so it's been a really good year so far. Um, I mean, yeah, there's, there's been lots of activity, lots of things happening and everything else. I've sort of managed to catch up. Basically, I'm writing some books. You know, there's a lot of activity sort of just just across a whole variety of different things and fronts and everything else, basically from gaming through to sort of things like future of infrastructure, future of jobs and skills, you know. And then obviously, but I see there's uh, a little bit of hype about a certain a certain artificial intelligence tool. Well, there really is. I mean, I couldn't escape it anywhere I went over the last three, four weeks. People are obsessed with it. Everything seems to be dominated by ChatGPT. Tell us, how has it suddenly become such a big thing in such a short amount of time? And how long have you been warning the world about its sort of power? Yeah, so, I mean, I've been talking about the rise of what I used to sort of call creative machines. So artificial intelligences that were able to create different forms of content, different kinds of products and everything else. So, you know, about seven years ago, I sort of gave these machines basically the moniker of creative machines. So if you go back to my YouTube channel and you go all the way back in time, you'll see me talking about how these machines can be used to change society, change the future workforce, basically do auto programming and coding, uh, write articles, blogs, you know, books, you know, which we can have a little chat about in a moment, you know, turn education upside down, you know, create videos and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, frankly, now we're kind of here. So as a futurist, I always kind of feel that I'm the one that's on stage talking about the things that are going to be emerging and then when they actually emerge basically everyone then goes and has conversations with everybody else which is always sort of fun and always slightly ironic i used to sort of call them creative machines because essentially these are iterative innovation sort of engines and platforms and everything else they now kind of have the name of generative artificial intelligences which is really a sort of a, a name or nomenclature that's only really sort of come through in the past sort of year, maybe year and a half, if I'm pushing it out a little bit. But, um, you know, when you actually have a look at these machines, you know, inevitably what kind of happens basically with any sort of hyped technology is there's a huge amount of work going on in the background. You know, we saw this with artificial intelligence, 3D printing, virtual reality, blockchain and everything else. So what you have basically is you have all these sort of these these subterranean networks and ecosystems and startups, basically in geeks, basically in labs, basically and in hacker communities, basically who are sort of spotted these new powerful emerging technologies and they're sort of playing around with them, tweaking them and everything else. But frankly, as far as the public's concerned, all of this, you know, 97% of all of this sort of happens outside of public view. And the 3% of it that does actually happen in the public's view, you know, Generally, most of the public sort of go, you know, who cares, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but as these sort of tools start developing in their maturity, as they start nearing a stage that we can kind of call commercialization, um, you know, if you look at chat GPT, it is now starting to commercialize. We're starting to see a $42 tier actually being put in, um, which they'll sort of be announcing very shortly. Um, but as these different tools and technologies inevitably start maturing, doing interesting things, disrupting different things, you know, sort of have a little bit of that kind of, wow, you know, look at what this stuff can do. Once basically this sort of the, the communities, you know, this, particularly the social media communities start picking this up and influencers start picking this up, then all of a sudden you end up with a relatively boutique and niche technology 
that is picked up, for example, by by an influencer. The influencer then says, you know, look at this amazing thing. Look at what it can do. All of a sudden, you have a million people who are going, wow, I didn't know about that, you know, and then now they're starting to talk about it. So what you have is you then start really start, you know, you really end up starting, uh, start ascending that hype cycle. And once the hype cycle gets going, you know, you're never really going to stop that. Um yeah, it eventually does stop inevitably, you know, after about a year. You know, we saw this with Metaverse, you know, the Metaverse basically was the only thing that businesses and individuals were talking about basically globally really for about a year. But, you know, when you start having a look at uh, AGM notes, basically, for example, basically for a lot of the Fortune, say, 250 organizations, the number of times basically that the Metaverse is actually being mentioned by boards now yeah, at AGMs, is actually fallen significantly and they're kind of reverting back to virtual reality and augmented reality terminologies. You know, we saw exactly the same thing with blockchain. You know, there was a massive hype about blockchain, which lasted, we could say two years, but sort of 18 months was the main hype cycle. The networks are still talking about blockchain, but I tell you what, go onto social media now and try to find anyone who's really talking about blockchain yeah, or flooding the networks. And yes, they are talking about blockchain, but it's certainly got nowhere near the hype that it used to have. And it's certainly got nowhere near the hype that, you know, the metaverse has, for example, or kind of web 3.0 or AI had, you know, or chat GPT or mid journey kind of have now. So we sort of go through these, these inevitable cycles. Um, but actually, you know, when we have a look at these, these tools, you know, we started off kind of basically with um, you know Chat GPT you know version two, and people sort of started using it and went actually you know this is fairly interesting you know it can write some fairly interesting blogs and articles and you know it's been able to fool a couple of humans basically on Reddit you know that kind of stuff. Um, we saw a couple of students over in the US actually using it to autocomplete their their coursework. Um, which I'm incredibly of... jealous. All, I mean, all we used yeah. to have was Wikipedia, which was very, very easy to sort of yeah. get found out by. Whereas now you can just type in, you know, do an essay on Henry VIII and his, you know, misdemeanors and suddenly, you know, tell it how long it can be. I mean, just, just quickly, can you tell us, for those who don't know, how has ChatGBT risen to the top against its competitors? How has it become the number one? Is it just the word of the social media, the, the power of socials? Uh, well, so, so it's a couple of things. So so firstly, you know, when you actually have a look at what ChatGPT is, ChatGPT is what we call a large language model. So essentially, these large language models are artificial intelligences that have, in ChatGPT's case, trillions of different parameters that mean that when we say something to ChatGPT, it can understand what we're talking about so it can kind of understand the context and then it has should we say the intelligence basically to understand what the context is but then also what the answers could be should be based on all of the information that it has so a little bit like the human brain you know if we sort of say you know what's the future of manufacturing you know the ai understands the question it understands what i'm trying the point i'm trying to get across etc 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 what i'm trying to achieve the outcome that i want uh, and then it goes off, basically, and based on its understanding of that particular prompt, in ChatGPT's case, sifts through massive volumes of information, 
um, uses different weightings and then comes back and says, well, you know, if we're talking about the future of manufacturing, basically then, you know, 3D printing, 4D printing basically is on the rise, da, 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 you know, and that's how we do. Okay. Um, so, you know, when we have a look at, you know, things like ChatGPT2, basically, you know, it was interesting. I think it had about a trillion parameters basically at that point. Um, ChatGPT3 basically is a much, much bigger lang large language model, LLM. Uh, I think it's got about three billion, three trillion parameters now. Um, but when we actually have a look at its competitors, you know, we've actually got really good competitors from companies like Alibaba, Baidu, Google, basically. So Google, basically, with their DeepMind outfit. Um, but, you know, as we sort of see with a lot of things, you know, it's the 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 technologies and things and companies that quite often rise to the top are the ones basically that the communities pick up on. And then other people start picking up on it as well. And the community sort of goes ballistic. But when you actually have a look at uh, Google's you know, LLMs, you know, they're also state, state of the art. And I've been using them and actually they are just as good as ChatGPT3, uh, if not sort of slightly better in certain respects. That's it. But Google, basically, on the one hand, basically hasn't really promoted or pushed these products you know they've kept them in the labs sort of um in addition to that you know google basically kind of has sort of brand issues at the moment you know so from a community perspective you know who do we like more open ai or google you know the vast majority of the community basically that i see out there 90 what eight percent of them 99 percent of them are talking about open ai what open ai are doing not what google's doing when you say what's it doing apart from being able to do your homework and maybe you know kid some people by writing an article in a magazine or a newspaper what are the craziest things you've been able to do with it or you've witnessed be done so there's there's a bunch, but I'm actually going to start here um, because I've been talking about these sort of creative machines, which I'm still going to call them creative machines. So we can have a chat about that. But um, I've been talking about these creative machines, as I said, basically for 10 years. You know, the impact basically that these machines basically will actually have on the future jobs market, access to skills and so on and so forth, basically, particularly basically for our children, basically who are coming out, going to be coming out of the education system in, say, 2030, 2035, maybe even a little bit later is frankly titanic um so i was talking with government ministers a couple of days ago basically on you know the impact that for example just a tool like chat gpt will have basically on the global workforce and when you actually run the numbers it'll impact over a billion jobs and well over 10 trillion dollars worth of gdp that we see today but uh sort of back to the question one of the things basically that i've sort of been doing is you know i i i my 10 year old son actually used chat gpt to write a book Right and then we used Midjourney to illustrate the book. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to see whether or not these tools were able to successfully democratize access to what we would typically think of, say, for example, as ghost writing skills, as well as other things. But in this case, ghost writing skills um, for not just for adults, but actually for students that are going through education today, bearing in mind that these technologies will be much much more powerful basically in five to ten years time and much more impactful so what i did basically is i sat down basically with caden uh, and actually you can sort of see this basically on the three on the new 311 youtube channel basically on you know how we actually use chat gpt and mid journey to create a book now the book that we actually decided to write so caden wanted to write a book on coaching for elite 
for performance runners, uh, for elite runners and performance runners. Part of the reason for that is because he actually he loves running. That's his passion. And he's in Team GB. So, well, so he's he actually he's, he's one of the main members, basically, of Pentathlon GB, basically. And, you know, he's a European champion and a whole variety of different bits. So that was his passion. So he wanted to write a book using ChatGPT called Coaching for Performance Runners. Now, I was quite happy with that because, you know, we've seen... I think we've seen about two or three people use ChatGPT to write books, but it's been typically adults using ChatGPT to write a book on the metaverse. You know, it's like, yeah. yay. Um, and what I really wanted to do is I really wanted to see whether or not we could actually use ChatGPT to create kind of a guide, basically, that no one else had actually created before and that was kind of in a completely different field to technology, just to sort of see whether it was good, bad, ugly, or other. Yeah. And as you can sort of see, basically, from the videos that I've actually put out on, across my YouTube channels, it was absolutely easy. In fact, it was so easy. It was dangerously easy, basically, for Caden as a 10-year-old with relatively decent creative and English skills to write a book that so far we've now donated thousands of dollars basically to charity because we sort of created it and then we as we're selling it basically all the money goes to charity how, how long did it take him <laughs> so the whole lot and actually again i break this down in the youtube video basically the whole lot took under a day that's it but yeah. sort of breaking it down here um what we ended up doing is actually so we came up with an idea so at the moment basically no human in this case no book um, so we come up with the idea, basically we then used ChatGPT, Caden put in prompts. Now, the way that we actually did this was the prompts that we put in were uh, create the chapter headings, basically for a book called Coaching for Performance Runners. Uh, ChatGPT came up basically with around 12 chapter titles, basically for the book. Um, so we checked those, basically they actually seemed to make sense. So we ran with those suggestions. What we then did, basically, is we then used other, another prompt with chat GPT to say for each chapter heading, write up to 1300 words of content. And chat GPT basically would spit things out on the on the whole, probably about 95% of the content that it was actually spitting out was absolutely fine, sounded relatively boring, relatively flat. Um, so we ended up sort of doing a mixture of filtering, we started changing the prompts a little bit to include examples and details, for example, um, we started, you know, changing the prompts basically so that it formatted it a little bit differently so that it took particular stuff that we didn't want in there out, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, at the end of that particular process, we ended up sort of copying and pasting everything that ChatGPT had created into a Word document and the whole lot. So essentially to write an entire book which is 75 pages, by the way, and then dump that into a Word document, which we could have then just sort of pushed out basically as a PDF basically onto social media. It took 20 minutes. But what we then did is we sort of dumped everything into a Word document, proofread everything, because this is actually designed to be a proper guide basically for particularly young athletes. And we wanted to make sure that the content that ChatGPT had created was actually accurate. Um, turns out that actually the vast majority of the content actually was, you know, we added in a couple of little extra sort of bits and bobs and so on and so forth. But, you know, to be honest, not too much. And that was it. So we sort of proofread it, proofreading, modifying it, et cetera, et cetera. The text that is took about two hours 
And then once we've sort of done that, you know, I use InDesign for a lot of my codexes. So I've written 12 books by hand, you know, including uh, a lot of the current updates that I've done. Um, and so what we then did is we then took that text, dumped it into Adobe InDesign, which is a desktop publishing package, um, created a format and a flow for the book, you know, because if you're doing a book, you know, people don't just want to read a, a flat word document. You know, you want some pictures in there. You want a flow. You want a contents page, yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff. And then uh, we went to Mid Journey. Now, I've never used Mid Journey before, but um, I went to the Mid Journey. And again, Caden, based on you know, the the sort of the book, basically, that we were creating and everything else, uh, decided what prompts he wanted to put into Mid Journey to create images that he felt were appropriate for the book. And at the end of about six hours, we ended up with, off the top of my head, probably about sort of 50 or so images, basically, that... Uh, were frankly good enough for the book, you know, good enough, but also interesting enough basically yeah. for the book. Um, and yeah, throughout the whole process, we then started editing the book again and bits and bobs, formatting it, proofreading it again. Um, by the end of the day, basically we created the book, you know, and it's going to the publishers now. Um, so we've got a couple of publishing houses basically which are interested in it, which is uh, just That's freaky, great. frankly. Um, we've already got more books, basically, that are in the pipeline. I would argue that for Caden, as a 10-year-old boy in relatively standard education, it was easier for him to write, to use these tools to write and illustrate essentially an elite guide on running, let alone other things, than it is for him to use a calculator. Well, I mean, forgetting the illustration and the design, it seems that the majority of the actual book, the creation of the book was done in 20 minutes. Yeah. But Matthew, for a man who's written six books by hand, by candlelight, sweating, trying to come up with well, new things to, to write about, where do you morally stand on this sort of debate in terms of your son being able to type some things yeah. into chat GPT and then be talking to publishers and, you know, making money? And, you know, just where does this stand on a moral argument for you, a man who's well, seen both sides? So it's challenging, to be honest, you know, and this is sort of one of the things. So the reason the reason why Caden and I actually decided to write a book in the first place was on the one hand, just to educate him about these tools and ultimately educate him about the power of these tools. Mm. Um, because I speak to a lot of parents, basically, that even today are sort of saying, look, you know, we know that these tools exist, but should we actually show our children these tools, you know, get them to use them? Because, you know, we've seen plenty of students yeah, already starting to uh, use these tools basically to cheat on things like, you know, history assignments, English assignments and so on and so forth. And even with Caden, you know, he was assigned basically a lot of homework over Christmas, as you'd sort of as you'd sort of understand. Um, what we ended up doing is we ended up getting getting him to do all of his uh, year six homework properly, you know, by hand, you know, using his own brain, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> But then we created a couple of examples, basically for his teachers. So, for example, they were they were learning about uh, the Victorians, and uh, you know one of the one of the questions in this homework um, over Christmas basically was: if Queen Victoria passed laws, what kind of laws would she pass? Right. And you thumped that into G Chat GPT, and it came up with: well, firstly, Queen Victoria was a monarch, which means that she couldn't actually create her own laws. I mean, come on. I mean, that's fairly stunning. Just, yeah. you know. And then it said, however, if she was actually going to create her own laws, you know, it, the laws that she would pass basically would probably look like this. And then it wrote about a 
about 800 words basically on that now in this particular case basically you know i sort of i got caden to, to use chat gpt to do some of these homework assignments on the one hand because i wanted to see what it would produce i also wanted to see how he would use it react to it and so on and so forth as a 10 year old but we then sort of submitted it basically to school and what kind of got me basically was, I mean, to be frank, and I'm going to say this here, and it might be unpopular basically with, you know, certain members of the school. The teacher responsible, I see when Caden said, look, you know, I've done all of my homework properly, but then we used, you know, an artificial intelligence to create these two pieces of homework. Um, the teacher went, and what's the point? And frankly, for me, basically, that's horrifying. I understand basically that teachers basically will have, they'll be slightly removed basically from these tools and technologies. Yeah, even though basically actually quite a lot of the teachers I'm talking to are already actually huddling in communities basically to try to figure out what the heck do they actually do basically with these powerful technologies, especially because they are such a great way for students to cheat, you know, or not to do their homework properly or whatever it happens to be. You know, these things fundamentally break a lot of different aspects of the education system, which we can talk about. Um, but to come back by seeing and for a teacher to sort of say, well, what's the point? Uh, you know, I'm actually having a, a session basically with the school uh, this afternoon. But I really felt like saying, well, the point of this basically is that this is absolutely and completely disruptive, basically, not just to education, but actually to these kids' future careers and jobs and, you know, so on and so forth. Um, and this is... Yeah, we've we've often talked basically on this podcast basically about you know how how I'm trying to transform education basically to actually make it future fit, and this is just such a prime example basically of actually why that's actually needed. What's the impact going to be on on kids' traditional education in terms of Google came along you know twenty years ago and for the first time and asked asked Jeeves as well you could actually type something in and get an answer, but you couldn't get it to write you know write for you, you couldn't get it to do work. Um, what impact will this have on the traditional learning? Is it any point so, in kids learning anymore? So technically, no. But I know that that's con that's uh, I know that basically that's going to be confrontational and everything else. Um, but I'm going to say no. But I'm also going to say yes. Okay. So you know, when we actually have a look, for example, at what Caden did basically with this performance running book, um, to be honest, he didn't need to know anything about coaching or performance running other than how to put in some interesting prompts. And to be honest, we could have actually created the same book, really. Uh, it would have been 90, 95% the same. You know, Caden could use ChatGPT to create a book on how to become an artist, uh, how to trim trees, how to build a building, you know, or how to lay a road or how to do maths or whatever it happens to be. So on the one hand, basically it's, increasingly are easy to argue that just as Google accessed, just as Google democratized access to information so that we no longer have to remember what the boiling point of helium actually is, AI tools basically like ChatGPT outsource or actually democratize access to skills. Because if you want me to write an essay on the Victorians at the moment in school, I have to learn about them as a human, understand all of that, and then be able to, and then have the skills basically to put that onto paper or into a computer, whatever. But with platforms like ChatGPT, I don't have to. I could go to ChatGPT and say, create a thousand word essay in the in the style of a 10 year old on, Victor on the Victorian age. 
and it would do it and we could hand that in. But this is where ultimately from an education perspective, schools and educators have actually got to get in front of children and get in front of this trend because on the one hand, we have a generation that could literally potentially not really have to learn anything, but could still produce, I say expert level content, but certainly, you know, good generalized content on different subjects, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I can use basically chat GPT to fill in RFIs and proposals. You know, if companies want to send me a proposal, you know, want to send me an RFI basically for you know, futurist services. I'll tell you what, I can turn around that proposal now in about 20 minutes, you know, fantastic using GPT. So these things do actually have sort of wider implications basically than just education. Um, but from a moral standpoint, and we did have to actually have a conversation with this about this book, um, I could actually have said to Caden, right, what we're going to do is we are going to promote this book um, as you being the author, and we don't have to tell anybody that it was actually written by an artificial intelligence. Now, if I'd done that, if we went out to the publishing houses and if people who took an interest in the book basically went, wow, you know what? It's absolutely amazing that a 10 year old has actually created a 75 page book, a good yeah. book, you know, on, you know, coaching for performance runners and everything else. You know, I could quite easily have gone, yeah, you know what, he's he's an amazing writer, you know, he's been really dedicated, you know, I could lie, I could say, yeah, yeah, he's been working on it for two to three months and everything else. So this is sort of then brings us into conversations about ethics and transparency, basically, of using these different tools. Well, I, I was going to ask, Matthew, where does the trademark lie? Like, where's yeah. the copyright? So actually, the copyright lies essentially with me. Uh, and with Caden, because we actually used ChatGPT and MidJourney to create essentially a product that, you know, can be sold, you know, commercialized, um, we needed to understand basically, you know, who owns the copyright. Now, when you have a look at platforms like ChatGPT, when you have a look at Stable Diffusion, which is a text to image generator, as well as MidJourney, there are now people basically saying, well, hang on, you know, these artificial intelligences have been trained with both open source, but seemingly uh, commercial um, information. So for example, with Stable Diffusion, Stable Diffusion's uh, auto-generated images seem to be kicking out um, some images that look like they've got the Getty logo on, you know, that kind of stuff. Even with Midjourney, when we were actually asking Midjourney to create uh, pictures of athletes, you know, runners basically in sort of different, uh, different sort of apparel, um, I was seeing the night logo appearing. You know, so from my perspective, you know, when we actually signed up to Mid Journey and we actually paid, I looked at the T's and C's and we own the copyright. That's it. So, you know, we can quite legally, you know, and I'm sure there's gray areas, let's face it. And I've got a whole bunch of lawyers in my pocket because, um, you know, I've been talking to organizations like DLA Piper, Wiggins and all these others basically around these mm. sorts of uh, image, should we call them image right um, and IP issues. Um, but realistically, I own the copyright because I, I essentially paid GPT. I paid um, Midjourney uh, for a license. Um, as when it comes to Chat GPT, it looks like we own the copyright. So as far as I'm concerned, you know, certainly at a really high level, without getting into nitty gritty and without lawyers actually looking at all of this stuff and debating all of this kind of stuff, um, it looks as though I'm absolutely fine basically to sell all of this as you would a traditional commercial book. Talking about images, let's go on to moving imagery because obviously words have been done now and it's only going to get better the yeah. more they can do with 
you know, words and creating things, but imagery, creating music, creating animation. Are we almost at a point or are we already, already there where I could say, make me a four and a half minute jazz song with an electric guitar set in the middle in the key of A and I want to, you know, and, and write me the lyrics and the melody to it as well. I, I wrote a book on synthetic content, I mean, three years ago um because i was working basically with the hollywood studios you know who ultimately sort of want to be able to push a magic artificial intelligence button and it spits out a marvel blockbuster for example you know where everyone goes wow um and you don't need the actors you don't need to go to location you don't need the camera crews you know etc 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 um so sort of addressing this kind of in this particular way uh we're increasingly getting to the to the to the point, but really to the starting line where we can quite easily see AI to everything. So I will sort of give you an example. I'll give you a number of examples. So we have AI. So we have text to image, text to audio, text to VFX, text to Foley, which is a sort of movie term. Uh, we've got text to uh, virtual reality worlds uh, with companies like Prometheum. Uh, we've got text basically to um, gaming, you know, to games. You know, we've already seen that actually with chat GPT and kind of an NVIDIA mashup. Um, we've got text to code or programs and application. Um, we've got text to product. Um, now, on the text to product piece, again, as I sort of explained on the YouTube video, I see on the 3, 311 sort of YouTube channel, this one, when we were actually creating Caden's book, we used different prompts in mid-journey to create uh, different trainers. Now, with ChatGPT, with MidJourney, with other sort of platforms, we've already seen other platforms doing what we sort of call text to CAD or 3D assets. So there is absolutely no reason, basically, why I couldn't actually put in a prompt saying, uh, create a red and black trainer uh, for elite runners. And the artificial intelligence, perhaps mid-journey in this case, you know, as it did, create some really good-looking running shoes. But now I could say to the AI, now make a 3D model of that and push it to a 3D printer. You know, when we have a look at Adidas, Adidas basically already have 3D modeled shoes, and they push them to a company called Carbon uh, to 3D print shoes basically in the back of their stores. So, you know, when we start talking about the power and potential of all these different technologies, you know, what happens when Caden goes basically from being able to write a book using artificial intelligence, using artificial intelligence in 20 minutes to then being able to actually look at the different apparel basically and trainers basically that these AIs have sort of dreamed up and saying, right, I've now created the book. What I now want to do is I now want to create a load of custom, unique Caden merchandise basically that runners can buy to go along with this book you know and he simply says take the image of a running shoe that mid-journey created turn it into a 3d render and 3d print it on a holographic 3d printer basically in an adidas store or a ups store or wherever it happens to be you know and then all of a sudden caden goes would you like to buy my book and would you like to buy my shoe however when I talk about using these technologies to democratize access to skills and new things, Caden doesn't actually need to know anything really about you know, how to design a sneaker, you know, yeah. how to, you know, how to select the right materials for it, the colors, the styles, you know, all that kind of stuff. 
So these tools are much, much more powerful basically than anybody thinks. And what we're seeing with these ecosystems is we're seeing lots of different artificial intelligence tools spring up. One does one thing, one does another, one does another. You know, you talked, for example, basically about, um, say, for example, text to video. We've already got that with Meta. But again, you know, a lot of these basically are fairly rubbish. Um, I can do text to digital human with Synthasia. I can do text to digital human and kind of text to video with DID, uh, which is another sort of generative artificial intelligence platform. Um, so inevitably, you know, when we sort of talk about using these tools to create static images and sort of, you know, some of the more basic stuff, they're fairly decent. They don't have tuning controls, though, you know, and in this book that I wrote three years ago, I say, you know, we go through these stages, you know, we'll have AIs that can create good images. But from a human perspective, we won't be able to tune those images. You know, you won't be able to say, could you take the person that's in the center of the image and just move him a bit to the left? So as these different tools sort of gain new controls, as the interfaces become better, as the way that you can manipulate all of these different things basically improves, et cetera, et cetera, you know, I will ultimately be able to create a whole variety of different things. Now, one thing I will say about mid-journey, because I think this is an important point. So I pointed this out to DWP yesterday. The images that we used mid-journey to create cost us 20 pounds. Now, I know from experience from actually writing my codexes and designing new gadgets and new smartphones and smart devices for companies like Samsung and Huawei, and you can go and download those codexes by see off uh, 311institute.com forward slash insights. I know from experience that if you actually go to a community like Fiverr or you go to illustrators and say, look, you know, we're we're writing a book. We want some illustrations and some pictures and bits and bobs. Um, I did some work basically with Samsung on KX50, uh, for example, which is uh, the vision of the world in 2069. Um, the illustrators who created the images for the, K the Samsung KX50 report, which again, just Google it and you can find it. Um, when I actually reached out to them sort of about a couple of years ago, basically said, you know, I would like to create five futuristic sort of A4 sized images, please. You know, how much? You know, they came back basically with a quote of like eight thousand pounds. Mm. So just to put this into context, when we wrote Caden's book, Chat GPT's free. I paid mid-journey 20 quid. To pay a human illustrator to create the images that mid-journey created in basically seconds and in under really kind of six hours, I reckon. Even if I am absol an, an absolute cheapskate, I would have spent £2,000 and I would have spent probably two to four weeks, you know, saying to them, no, you know, can you change this? Can you do this and everything else? And it would have involved a huge amount of my time. Realistically, I think I said that to create the images that are in Caden's book, based on my experience, bearing in mind they are all custom the branding is all on par because, you know, the 311 Institute, we typically use white, black and red basically as our branding colors. Basically, so, you know, when you actually have a look at the book, you know, all the branding's on point. Um, I reckon basically that that could well easily have been 10 to 15,000 pounds. Now, here's the lesson. 
to create those images, I really probably have, should have paid illustrators 10 to 15,000 pounds, whether those illustrators are in the UK, the US, India, you know, wherever they happen to be. But using these generative artificial intelligence tools, I paid those creators nothing. And I basically paid an American company 20 quid for the privilege. So when you have a look at the amount of money, basically, that these things actually potentially take out of the economy and then centralize, basically, into a technology platform, the, the amount of money is staggering. And that's another implication when we talk about the future of jobs, work, and, you know. But then yeah. at the same token, Caden wouldn't have been able to have paid illustrators 10 to 15,000 pounds to illustrate his book. So these tools, on the one hand, have helped both myself and Caden unlock human potential, do new things in new ways, and actually get a book out in a day. But there are much, much wider ramifications for really, I'll say, the global workforce, but you know, the creative workforce and so on and so forth, basically, than anyone really has actually figured out yet. Well, I've got to agree with you because I was going to use for a podcast I work on some new artwork. I was going to pay the same guy we normally pay five hundred quid to do, you know, yeah. an illustration that's a lot of back and forth. But actually, I can pay twenty quid to get it done and have it a completely new and unique way. And if I don't like that, I can change it in a second. I mean, exactly. it is crazy, but I mean, it's putting it out of work, lots of illustrators, artists, lots of people in the creative industries for sure. But outside the creative world, looking yeah. as a futurist in the next five, 10 years, what are going to be the big implications? What are the things which are going to really shake up the world in a wider realm than just the sort of creative, creative industry? Great question. So there's a lot of different areas. Um, so I'll start with coding and programming, you know, so we're already seeing sort of GitHub stack overflow. Basically, we're already seeing a variety of, you know, expert programmers and coders starting to use platforms like ChatGPT to augment their coding work. Now, you know, as we sort of discussed on the podcast before, you know, companies like Microsoft and Google are starting, well, they've been creating artificial intelligences really for a good number of years now that have the express goal of fully automating the development of applications, typically applications with over 10,000 lines of code, because those are typically sort of more, more complex. Um, so over the longer term, medium to sort of long term, you know, we can already see a point in time. And again, I've been talking about this for years, you know, where I as a non-coder could actually say to one of these platforms, you know, create an application for me that has these features and does this stuff. And the AI will go away, scavenge code from GitHub, Stack Overflow, and all these other different places, bring it back and say, is this the application that you wanted me to create? And I can go, yes, um, provided the user interface basically actually lets you do that. Or I could say, no, I could say, change the colors. Could you actually take that feature out? Could you put this one in? Could you actually sort of, you know, do, you know, could you change it in whatever way I wanted it changed? And then ultimately, I can just get these AIs to actually publish these automatically, basically to say the Google Play Store or the Apple App Store or, you know, the Samsung Store or the Huawei Store, you know, if we're talking about them. Um, so on the one hand, basically, you know, there are the, these platforms basically have extreme implications basically for, you know, the genuine creative industry, musicians, voiceover artists, uh, novelists. I already know a novelist basically who was going to write his 11th book. And he said, because chat GPT essentially democratizes, you know, book writing, he's not going to do it any longer um, because he can just see a flood of books hitting the market, you know. And from Caden's perspective, I mean, I, by the end of the year, I could have Caden, Caden could have written, what, 30 to 50 books 
you know, uh, in his part time if he wanted to. You know, so we are going to basically be faced with this absolute content tsunami. We've also got AIs basically that where we can do AI to influencer, you know, so as opposed to me going and hiring and paying a human influencer to go and promote the benefits of, uh, you know, cats and the 311 institute visa to people you know i could just create a digital human in fact i already have a digital human called anna that's it she's on my youtube channel and she quite often quite often appears in my presentations and keynotes but you know when we start having a look outside of coding you know you've got films and movies basically you've got script writers you know so i was talking to dentsu as well as a lot of other marketing agencies a little while ago basically i said this stuff is completely disruptive because you can have AIs, well, ChatGPT will now put together your marketing strategy. It can put together the script. You can turn the script that ChatGPT creates ultimately basically into some, either into a advert for cars or campaigns or whatever it happens to be. Ultimately, that script can be turned into a video. And then that video can be pushed straight basically to social media and all that kind of stuff. We've also, you know, when we have a look at things like A&R, We've got AIs that are being used by Warner Brothers, but also even by sort of, you know, Psycho, which is Simon Cowell's uh, outfit, um, to figure out, you know, which pop singers or which, you know, music, which, which human artists' uh, music's going to go viral. Um, what movies basically are more likely to be successful. Now, when we actually have a look at some of the, the artificial intelligences that the movie companies are now using to try to figure out which potential movies could end up being the biggest gross, you know, gross earners. Um, the industry st statistics uh, are on average, human experts manage to get 27% of the blockbusters right. You know, so in 27 out of 100 times, human experts will say this movie is going to be a big hit. But AI, that's double it's over 54% that they managed to actually get right. Now, in addition to that, with a lot of these AIs, they let us do new things because we can say, what, well, what happens basically if we switch out Jennifer Lopez uh, for Jennifer Gardner, basically in this particular movie, and you can start running simulations to say, well, you know, if you put Jennifer Gardner in, um, then this movie is more likely to take an extra $100 million or whatever it happens to be. Um, so, you know, we, we see lots and lots of different ways, basically, that these AIs are already being used, basically, commercially, basically, within big businesses, you know, today. Um, but sort of outside of all these different areas, you know, we're seeing AIs already become robo-lawyers. You know, we've got do not pay. Uh, we've got, I mean, there's a whole bunch of robo-lawyers, but, you know, there's, we've, we've already seen AI, how ChatGPT is able to create very accurate and convincing uh, law papers, you know, history papers. We've seen ChatGPT acing uh, history, English GCSE exams, uh, science exams, maths exams, but we've also seen it almost uh, pass the one of the, the, the hardest American medical examinations We've even seen basically a lot of uh, a lot of on, I say online criminals, cyber criminals, whatever you want to call them. We've also seen quite a lot of cyber criminals actually using ChatGPT to create conversational bots, um, particularly women. Um, so you know, blokes basically sort of go onto particular forums, and all of a sudden, you know, this woman, you know, uh, starts talking to them. These women that are talking to these men or whoever they're talking to are actually artificial intelligence bots. 
that have been specifically created with the sole purpose of trying to get something out of those men, you know, money, hook their emo hook them on, on their emotional feelings, get them to fall in love with bots yeah. and so on and so forth. So while basically chat GPT is used by likes of Caden and I basically to write a book and others basically to create some code and others basically to pass exams and others to write blogs and others to write marketing content and to actually schedule and push marketing content out there. You know, we've seen a lot of that basically with tying chat GPT basically into Canva, for example, basically to automate, um, you know, pushing uh, quotes out, for example, to different social media channels and so on and so forth. The fact that these tools are so easy to use and the fact that they are getting even more powerful means that we could abuse the heck out of them. You know, at what point does Caden as a 10-year-old say, I'm going to start using this artificial intelligence to create malware to infect all of my friends' computers and drain their cryptocurrency wallets? You know, and this is sort of where, again, we sort of bring education into it because... On the one hand, but you need to educate people that these tools need to be used ethically. Yeah. But, you know, now that we, we're sort of in this dangerous situation where Google has seen chat GPT as essentially a, a threat, I won't say it's an existential threat because you've got to execute chat GPT and Microsoft would have to execute really well to dethrone Google from their, you know, from their search perch. Um when you start having a look at some of the dangers, you know, Google will start rushing out its own chat GPT alternative based on DeepMind AI technology. Um, but we have already seen in many examples of how even with billions of dollars in the bank with a major technology backer like Microsoft, how chat GPT can actually be used for criminality, deception, misinformation, because you know if I if I typed something into ChatGPT saying uh, create a misinformation campaign on a politician, it'd go I can't do that. Yeah. But if I said what you know what would a misinformation campaign on a politician look like, it'll go well it would kind of look like this, and I go hey thanks for doing that. Um, so this kind of reverse engineering basically is incredibly dangerous. And what we've been able, what we've seen so far is these AIs are very, very easy to manipulate for malicious purposes. At what point do these things ultimately destroy democracy, destroy our trust in information? Because even as Sam Altman has said, um, and Andrew N.G., basically, who's one of the world's top AI experts, has said, you know, one of the dangerous, one of the most dangerous things about chat GPT is, yes, it spits out information, but it spits it out in such a convincing way that it sounds like it knows what it's talking about. Which is why, again, Caden and I actually had to proofread everything to make sure mm -hmm. that it wasn't just spouting out garbage. Um, so particularly when we start talking about uh, sources of information, sources of information, we saw CNET basically that actually used chat GPT to create a bunch of uh, financial planning articles. Mm. And all of a sudden, I think they had about 80 articles where they pushed them out. You know, they were online on CNET's platform and people were going, uh, that's inaccurate. And CNET were like, oh, well, you know, we got humans to check it. 
and people are going, no, it's inaccurate uh, because it doesn't know compound interest, for example, et cetera, et cetera. And CNET have had to go, oh, bugger, and now take all those articles offline and get actual humans to double check everything. This is the world that we're sort of going into. And when you actually have a look at governments and regulators, governments and regulators have no ready idea basically about this technology. You know, I've, I do a lot of work with governments. I've done a lot of work with governments on this kind of stuff over the past five years. Governments are like four generations behind the bleeding edge at best, let alone the regulators. You know, they cannot keep up. And even if regulators basically in one particular country could keep up, I could move to the Bahamas and generate a load of misinformation and malware basically from the Bahamas, you know, try and catch me. Well, governments being behind the curve isn't new news, is it? I mean, they're completely no. useless. But maybe in 10 years' time, we'll all be proofreaders. That may be our new career. Yeah, um, well, this is it. Human Matthew, che- yeah, humans checking the AI. Well, Matthew, you've been absolutely incredible. I just want to get a one-word answer. Will ChatGPT still be around in 10 years' time? No, it'll be something else. Okay, a couple more than one word, but we'll allow you to have it. Yeah, that's it. So the concept will be, et cetera, et cetera, because chat GPT will basically kind of like be the grand, grand, granddaddy, basically of, you know, be uh, like Bieber. Microsoft GPT or, you know, whoever ends up buying it or whatever they end up doing. Matthew, good <laughs> luck. Good luck at the school this afternoon. I hope the uh, teacher has learned her ways and is a bit more relaxed and open minded. Thank you oh, so yeah. much for educating as always. And we will see you again shortly. Thank you so much. That was yeah. wonderful. Cheers, Freddie. Take it easy. Cheers, Matthew. Bye, everyone.